Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. The program is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Very special guest today, Mr. Randall Carlton Green, who has written a marvelous book called Smart and Solo, the blueprint for efficient and enjoyable solo travel. Welcome to Seldom Said, Randall. Thank you for having me. I wonder if we can start with uh, perhaps a little bit of the obvious, your personal background, and what's brought you to this time and place in your life. Yes, thank you. Uh, well, I grew up as a as a dual citizen. My mom's from England, so I have a, I'm both a British citizen and an American citizen. But I grew up in, in a real small uh, rural area in Arizona, and that led me to uh, to writing a book down the road after my years. I I, I was uh, worked in education for years. I taught at the high school and the college levels. And then during that time, I, I started traveling on the side, just to something like like most people do, looking to just you know everybody's got a desire to go to Italy once and, and wherever it may be. So did that and realized the the hold that it had on me and the impression that it left on me was something I wanted to pursue and continue to do. And with that, I decided uh, I did a lot of travel solo. And uh, with that, I started, wrote a book on it called Smart and Solo, which is kind of basically how and why everyone should travel by themselves. You raise a lot of. Uh very interesting quotients in the book. Have you always been the kind of person who can sit under a tree and meditate by themselves? Yes, I have. Uh, again, I think probably a kind of a creation of my environment. Growing up where I did, you had to be able to entertain yourself because when your nearest neighbor was miles away, you couldn't rely on anyone else for your own entertainment. So I always kind of learned on the idea of that in order to be in interesting person you have to be interested in life and that uh, only boring people are bored those are some of the you know the phrases that i learned growing up and i've always just found that i could i could go off on my own and i could could read or i could investigate something else or i could just daydream and whatever it is i've always realized that i can that um, not only can i flourish by myself but i I look forward to it because i don't rely on on others and and i think growing up I, i learned that as a kind of a sense of pride like i can do things on my own and and I enjoy it. It's not like it, maybe at first it was it was because I had to because I had no one around. But then it turned into something that uh, that I enjoy. There are stories told of Theodore Roosevelt getting up in the morning. He had point to point walks where he simply walked in a direction. Have you ever traveled simply purely by whim and happenstance? Yeah, yeah, and I I love that too. And I and um, one of my favorite quotes is you know all great thoughts are conceived by walking and. And I believe that just the movement, just getting out, is is where it allows me to to think and to meditate and to to solve problems that I've had, but and and then create uh, new ideas, new goals. So yeah, I, I I definitely like to travel just out of spontaneity when I can. Many of my travels and my trips are planned out, but yes, I do. There have been plenty of times where just on a whim, whether it be like like Roosevelt did, just get up and, and start walking, start moving. I feel that uh, I, I have to keep moving and, and keep exploring. Do you keep what might be called a poetic diary when you travel? Because you won't yes, pass by I again. Encourage. Yes, I, I, I do, and I, I encourage uh, anyone to do so as well. I, I keep, I've learned to keep a journal in my daily life, not just for travel, but I, I, I have just my weekly travel. I have two, two journals that I keep. One, one is a gratitude journal where I write about something I'm thankful for every day, and it could be something minor. 
it could be something it could be something major. With now we're in the time of baseball playoffs, I can say I'm thankful for the baseball playoffs. But it also could be something more substantial, like I'm thankful for a family member, thankful opportunity. And I I have a gratitude journal for travel as well, but then I have a regular journal, and these are things that I'll, I'll keep track of, just my thoughts, my feelings, the idea of maybe something that didn't go right, something that went well. I, I like to track things. For instance, it took X amount of minutes to go through customs, or it took X amount of minutes to go through the, the, on, the, on the taxiing on the runway in JFK, which is one of the longest taxi runways I, I've found. So I, I definitely like to keep track of everything, and I like to um, go back and look at them as well when I'm planning my next trip to find out what worked and went, went well. Because how many times do we, we go somewhere and we just have these ideas up the top of my head, but if we don't write them down, how are we going to remember them in the future? And, and I find that by writing down, I remember I can remember a lot more things, and, and, and I um, appreciate things a lot more as well. Being raised in a part of the country that originally uh, was indigenous, have you found yourself drawn to some of the idiosyncrasies of the native people there? There's a quote attributed to Sitting Bull where he's asked who he was, and he simply said, I am. Has it made life simplistic? I believe so. I believe so. At nights, and especially at nighttime when I drive through and... Um, just to, to give an example of the size of my town, my, I went to a kindergarten through eighth grade, middle school, elementary school, and there was only 200 students in the entire school. So when you're out here, you can see the stars, which I know it sounds minimal to some people, but when you can fully see the stars, and you see even satellites moving around because it's just pitch black out here. And there's there's a feeling of calmness, there's a feeling of serenity and appreciation, uh, like your sitting bull quote of just... I am, and I'm existing, and I'm, 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 a, I'm a part of this. I'm a small part of this, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big part of the world. And it does, does help you appreciate it. And I feel that um, spiritually, men- mentally, growing up in, in a smaller area, I think I developed that as a strength, just an appreciation for, for just the world and, and knowing that uh, you know, I am. And, and it, does, it does make me appreciate it. does make me want to explore some more. Perhaps if you're willing, we can give your hometown credit. Uh, what is its name? <laughs> yeah, I would love that. My, my hometown is Tonopah, Arizona. Uh, many people, in, in, even in Phoenix, which is the, the capital here of Arizona, which is we're about an hour outside of it, many people in Phoenix have never even heard of it. That's how small it is. But it is home to the Palo Verde nuclear generating station. So we have a nuclear plant. That's what we're somewhat famous for. But it's uh, about an hour west of, of Phoenix, as you're taking the, the I-10 to, uh, towards uh, Los Angeles. I would wonder, living in such a small place with the sky overhead and <laughs> the ground below, did you have an epiphanal moment where you said there must be something beyond that horizon? Well, and I'm glad you asked that because early in the book I, I talk about why we travel. And there's three reasons we all travel. We, we travel, first of all, just for an education to learn something. And, and that could be just, that could be on a, on a big trip where you learn something historical, or it could be just a small trip locally where you learn something locally or you learn something different about the world. Second part is for adventure and fun. But the third part, and I feel it's the most important part of travel, is opportunity. And with that, like you mentioned, what's over the horizon? And it's that desire, what's over the horizon that, that has, has led explorers for years. It's led people maybe fleeing a, a country that's in conflict or, or leaving for an opportunity for a new career. And I, I definitely think that we don't know what's over the horizon, especially when you are in a small area because you haven't seen it. And it's that desire to kind of go towards it. it I felt like it was calling me, that I had to keep moving, keep going towards it. And so, yes, yes, growing up in a in place like that, it was 
it also snowballed because once I saw a little bit of that horizon, it, I was addicted. It's like, okay, what's next? If this is how much I felt by only going one hour, what happens if I go across the earth? And then what happens if I keep going? So yes, I, I, I definitely think as living in a place like Tonopah, you have that desire going across the horizon. Is there a desire to not only look for the geographic features, one can consider the Grand Canyon or the mountains or whatever the circumstance might be, but is there a desire to travel simply to meet difference and diversity in people? I, yeah, I mean, for me, they probably go hand in hand. Yes, I want to see these big areas. I want to see these certain things. Uh, I want to see the Eiffel Tower, and I, you know, I love that and experience that, but at the same time, I love being... I was in Istanbul recently and being able to talk to some people there and meeting someone. And it was great meeting someone who meeting someone who was from Istanbul, but also meeting someone who was from the eastern part of Turkey who was Kurdish. I look forward to those opportunities to to share a drink with someone around the world and, and maybe meet them. One of the things I, I, I go, I always try to make it a point to, to start a certain amount of conversations with people. And, and airports are great and, and everybody traveling is going for a different reason. Some people are going for something great. They're going for maybe a wedding or some family uh, and so they could go on for a tragedy or they could go on for a job opportunity. And it's, it's fantastic to meet these people because everybody in the world, every single person in the world that you meet is an expert at something that you don't know. So every single person in the world can teach you something that you don't know. And I'm fascinated by people and by culture. And that's probably what's the most addicting part to me. And I, I, I got a, a notification on my phone for what happened. I have this app that shows what you did a year ago. And a year ago today, I was one of the, my favorite conversations was in Edinburgh, Scotland, talking to uh, an individual from, from China. And we, we must have spoke for three hours just talking about politics and just sharing different thoughts, things that, and the common, the common answer for him and the common answer for me was, wow, I didn't know that. And to me, it's, it's such, it's so eye-opening and it's, it's spiritual just to be able to, to learn these things. So yes, I do want to see these big, these big things, you know, Grand Canyon for those who haven't seen it, it's marvelous, but I also just those little interactions and those small things, they make the trip just as memorable. You say Istanbul, and I know for myself, one of my bucket list visits has to be to Hagia Sophia. When you were standing in that hall, is there an awe-inspiring quality to it, or was there a discussion of what you were looking at? There is an awe-inspiring, and, and I, would, I would preface it by saying, I, I hope that you go, and because it's probably the best food city I've ever went to. So if you're, if you're a foodie, you definitely love it. But yeah, in Hagia Sophia... There, there were discussions taking place, and you can sign up to take different tours and everything. But for me, uh, I, I was, it was definitely awe-inspiring. It's, it's impactful not only from the inside but from the outside just because of its size and its grandeur. So you, you can walk around, and, and for me, the, the, the old architecture and just the stones and, and the fact that the stones are, are misshaped and they're maybe they're rough in certain areas and you have to duck in certain areas – it was it was it was incredible, and like so many older architectural places, it's it's a place that you could just get easily lost in, and you can be inspired by how it was created years ago. So, one, definitely one of my favorite buildings. Uh, I know at times I think we overdo the term primitive, but when one considers what has been built by so-called primitive people, the ceiling in Hagia Sophia, and so forth, have you been impressed by just the native genius? of persons who have, with their own two hands, changed their lives? All the time. All the time. And 
there's there's two different routes of that. You have the the buildings or the edifices where something like that or something like the pyramids were actually built. But then you have the other ones, uh, such as like the Nazca lines in Peru, which are these giant artistic designs on the ground that can only be seen from the air. But from the air, there's uh, like a, a monkey in different shapes, a hummingbird, and these these elaborate, extravagant, and gigantic pieces of art. And it is it's it's, it's amazing to know what what people created. It's inspiring to know what can be done, but it's it's also just you're thunderstruck by it by the fact that how did this happen and and when did it happen? What were they thinking? And there's so many questions and no answers. And that's probably the best part about it is that you just come up with different questions and you have no idea how to answer them. And it just it's it's all inspiring. But then because of that, it'll probably lead you to pick up a book on that culture and learn different things. So yes, not only not only just the building buildings and the monuments, but also some of the just the, the artistic aspects too as well. Judging something so magnificently huge from the air and then walking across it, have you found anyone who properly explained to you how perspective can be maintained? Yeah, there, I have, but there, I think when it, when it comes to the, the, the Nazca lines, it's all just a guess. There's so much part of it's a guess. And because of that, that, that adds to the mystery and adds to the, for me, the excitement of it. There, everyone can kind of give their scientific opinion, but we don't know. And there's part of that, it just when you're learning things to realize that you're not going to know the answers is comforting. And part of it is frustrating. And as you travel, you realize there's more and more and more questions. We don't know the answers and we don't know how it happened. And, we, and, and it's, so yeah, we do learn things about the perspective, but at the same time, we can't for, for certain or for, for sure say what those were for. And even something like um, like Machu Picchu, where they're not even exactly sure what it was for. It very well could have been a grocery store for them. And there's really no way to tell, and you have different theories of it. And it's, it's, it's great because you learn to just kind of question everything. It's important to be able to question certain things, but also gives you a chance to just think, and it gives you a chance to, to, um, to daydream and think of what it, you know, what do I personally think that was for? And I think that's what the most important is. Are you ever pleased that you don't know the answer? As a youth, I was always needed the answers, always wanted to know the answers. And I think it's refreshing as you grow up to realize that we don't know the answers and, and it's okay. And that there's so, because I think it, it helps you in so many other parts of your life. If, if everything gave us an answer, we would think of think of how we interact with people. Why did this person do that? Or why did that person do this? Why did my boss do this? Why did my mother or my father or whoever, why did they do this? We're always looking for those exact answers. So when you, when you find experiences that there is no answer, it allows you to just relax and just say, okay, I can, I can accept that there is no answer. And travel has allowed me to, in many situations, to accept that there is no answer. And it, I don't, I don't go and then, and, and then, constantly worry and think about, well, why is this? I'm, so many times in life, I know, and especially when I was younger, we would think of certain things, and you would just worry yourself constantly over and over again. But why did this happen? Why did this happen? In the end, you just realize, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and sometimes it rains. And when it rains, you, you're out, it's out of your hand, and you, and you can't, uh, you just got to accept. It's a marvelous way to look at life. <laughs> I'm wondering, and we're within two minutes and a half of our first break, it's always a sign of a good program when time goes by quickly, and it certainly is. Yeah. There's a phrase I've often heard used that I've used, perhaps beaten it to death on this program. It's a, a French phrase attributed to Voltaire, Montesquieu, and the others. Je suis un citoyen de le monde. 
Are you a citizen of the world? Can you live under anyone's um, flag? Me personally, yes, I am. And uh, I love the conversation we're having. And I love that you mentioned Voltaire because one of my next trips is, is to go to Voltaire's uh, home, which is just outside Basel, Switzerland. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not, not Basel, Geneva, Switzerland. And am I a citizen of the world? Yes, I am. And I'm, I'm proud to say so. And my, my strength, the best part about me, I feel, is that you, you can put me in any place in the world and I can have a 30-minute conversation with someone about their interests. Because I've always tried to know a little bit about everything, and, I, and I've had this, this zest for knowledge that I want to learn everything. And I want to learn everything, like I mentioned earlier, about everybody can teach you something. So I feel that whenever I'm anywhere else, I can talk to them about their interests. I can go to, I can go to China and talk about their interests. I could talk, I, I've managed to talk about different sports all, all along the world. And I take pride in being able to not be out of place. I feel comfortable being uncomfortable. And I, I believe that I'm a citizen of the world. And if I'm not, then I'm, I'm on my way to it. And I'm going to continue to, to learn. So prior to my trips, prior to my trips, I make it a point to listen to music from the culture that I'm visiting, watch movies from the culture I'm visiting, and read books from authors of the place. And one, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's a lot of fun. But two, it makes me feel more at home when I get there. And it allows me to then reference different things as well and it's i feel that when i show up people are are more appreciative of me as a, as a traveler because they know that i know a little better than i'm not just some ignorant person just showing up just to just to pass the night we're coming up to our first station break i had mentioned to you that i'd give you that 30 second lead perhaps we can leave uh, the first segment with a question and that would be as to whether it is perhaps overdone in this country when one considers higher education and collegial life. It would seem that you have a graduate degree in the road, and that can teach one an awful lot. I'd like to come back with that and have your perspective on it. This is, this is Seldom Said. My name is Robert. Be back in a moment. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. The program is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. We have a special guest raconteur, traveler Randall Carlton Green, the author of Smart and Solo, the Blueprint for Efficient and Enjoyable Solo Travel. Returning to that question we asked just before the break, Randall, we seem to be a country in love with as much formal education as we can get, and yet you'll have someone with seven degrees who's never set foot outside his neighborhood. What is your reaction to all of that? Yeah, and, and first of all, thanks for the description of Raconteur. I, I think there's no better description. That's all I want to be in life. But uh, yeah, I think, I think in the United States, education is such a linear thing. We have it all planned out. You do this, you go to this school, and this, and then you get a job. And then for me, I, and, and for, I think for many young people, when we always thought it was just kind of cause and effect. You do this, you get a job, and then all of a sudden you graduate, and you're like, wait, where's, you know, where's the job? Where's all the success that I was promised? And you know, for me, uh, just getting multiple degrees and uh, multiple different masters, I, I realized I was overeducated and underexposed. Uh, I hadn't started my traveling thing, and I, I guess I thought, you know, I, I knew all there was to know, and, and there was nothing else to learn. And then you start traveling, and you, and you realize that there's very few things in this life that are truths. There's very few things that are black and white, that everything is open up to interpretation. And, and that it lets you know that uh, what you're doing is that there's, there's more than one way to do anything, number one, and that what you're doing might be wrong. And, and even something as small as traffic lights are different in another, in another country. And when you start seeing that, when you start hearing different uh, 
opinions from, from people around there. And then when you meet someone else who, who has, who can speak five languages and it's common to them. And when, when they are talking more about the environment than you ever thought you would, and you hear these different ideas, you realize that you know nothing. And it's kind of like, it kind of, the more you travel to realize the less you know. And it is, it makes for a different type of education. I graduate, like you mentioned, a graduate level in, in, in the world, in life. And yes, you can achieve a lot in a regular traditional education. And, and I, I believe that I, I have, and I've done that. And I think many people have as well, but there's so much more. And I feel that the, that the, the, the education on the road that I've received has been much more important because it's, it's, it's taught me how to, to live this life and how to, to be a, a better person with it and to be, and to be more calm and to realize the differences that places you go, we want to see those differences. We like those differences. We like that when we go to a different country, they speak a different language and we like, we like these different foods. However, at the same time, there's a unifying factor in all, in all of us that we all have the same dreams and everything as well. So once you travel, you realize there's these differences, but then we also are the same. So yes, the traditional education, I, I, I feel we both we need to have both. But for me, I think my life took another step when it was uh, getting, receiving education on the road. And it was just opening my eyes to so many new things, whether it's the authors that I, I get recommended to me somewhere else. Or the music that you hear, or the food that you hear, and you and you realize to yourself, how have I gone this many years of my life not knowing that this exists? How have I done this? How have I gone this far and not seen the Eiffel Tower in person? Because when you do, and you realize just the, the size of it and, and the beautiful and the elegance of it, and when you visit the Pantheon in, in Paris and, and you see these things, and, and you learn just so many things you never knew existed, and you and you come back home and you're like, how did I never hear of that? How have I gone my entire life not knowing that this amazing event? Or this amazing situation occurs, and it just leads kind of down a great rabbit hole of exploring new ideas. And I, I feel that you got to have both. You need to have your traditional education, but it's probably a limited. And if you can go outside and you can, and you can get that education on the road, it's kind of endless and bountiful. How then would you suppose yourself as a father raising his own child? As, as I would, um, my goal on that would be all the activities that I've done to then incorporate it. Say, for instance, when I mentioned that prior to a trip, I listened to music from that location or whatever it may be, I would make it a point to just say, this day of the week, we are, you know, it's, it's, we're going to learn about a different country. We're going to try a different food. Uh, one thing I, I tried every, every week to try to go to a different cultural restaurant around there. So I think by doing things like that and, and starting at an early age, just showing the importance of having a worldview instead of just a small view of your local area, understanding of things out there. Because because with that, not only just all the things I've mentioned, but there's also career opportunities in that. When you have a, a international experience and you go and you apply at a job and they're going to ask you, hey, do you have an international experience? You can't say kind of. You can't say, yeah, I kind of do. You have to say, you can firmly say, yes, I've been to X amount of countries. I've done this. I did an internship. I, I volunteered there. And there's so many just new careers out there that, that you don't know exist that travel allows you. So I think it benefits a child, anyone raising someone young, to show them what's out there because of the, the excitement of it, but also just the, the endless possibilities for a career. Many travelogues take the position that life should not be a classical set piece. It should be a jazz fugue. Do we more and more turn our backs on the formality of travel? Well, I believe these, each one should have a little bit of both. You got to have a little bit of classical music, and you got to have a little bit of jazz. And it, 
best thing about music is that there's time and place for all of it. There are certain times where the formal aspects of travel should be there, where it's black and white, this to that, this to this, we're doing this and that. But there does need to be, with any trip, needs to be some spontaneity. And for me, when I travel, I like to begin and end the trip with the formal aspects or these kind of set in stone, this is exactly what we're doing. I, I typically begin and end trips in a more of a major uh, metropolitan airport area, someplace like if you're, you're traveling, if you're traveling to Europe, it's a place like London, if you're in the United States, someplace like JFK. And allow, I, once I have the beginning and end kind of bookended with stability in the middle, that's where the jazz can come out. And that's where it can be where you're sitting around and say, where are we going tomorrow? Where can we take a train to tomorrow? What can we do? What, what's different? What, what, what can I explore to, today or tomorrow? Or, and it allows you to then be creative. And it also allows you to handle any hurdles that are, that are going your way because very few trips go to plan. And if you have a rigid schedule, it could be difficult to handle some of the hiccups that come your way. So it is essential that that, that jazz aspect actually allows you to be flexible as well and to, and to have fun with it. So I, I try to incorporate both, and I think I think all travel needs to have elements of both. Some people are going to have a personality that drives them more towards one or the other, and I would tell the person, whichever personality it is, to try to do the one they're not used to. If you're used to making a list and deciding these are all things you want to do, on this next trip, make it a point to not have a list. And then conversely, if you're someone who kind of flies by the seat of their pants, doesn't have a plan, on this next trip, maybe just plan a little bit more, just just to see how it feels and to just kind of broaden your own perspective on the world. So having having jazz and classical music is, is essential for any traveler, and, and I think there's, there's beauty in both, and there's a time and place for both. In writing your book, Randall, what did you find to be the singular mistake most novice travelers make? I think the singular mistake is having a mindset that nothing's going to go wrong and that their trip is the most important because they've been planning it for X amount of months. What I mean by that is how many times have we traveled and maybe, maybe the flight's delayed or whatever it may be, and you hear someone complaining to someone else or maybe they did a social media post where they were saying, you know, we planned this trip for six months and the, and the plane's late. And it's like, well, you know, that happens, <laughs> you know, and or they, I planned this trip for X amount of months and it's snowing and now we're stuck. You know, things happen. And you have to build in a fallback plan and you also have to build in buffers. When I first started traveling, I would always do things like, okay, the, the, you know, the plane lands at, at 10 o'clock and I can take the train at 1030. Well, it doesn't work like that. And because you don't know, you know how long the taxi is, you don't know how, how long it is getting through customs, you don't know of anything that could happen. You might get sick or who whatever is along the way, so you can't have these rigid ideas. So, so I think novice travelers plan way too much, and they expect everything to just kind of go to plan. And this is not, this is not um, saying that to be pessimistic and expect the worst, but you have to have a secondary plan, and you have to realize that your trip's not the most important. Every single person on that plane is doing something as well. I, I bring that up because so many times when people are rushing and they're all bottlenecking onto the plane or, or out of the plane, and everybody's like, I got to go, I got to catch this next flight. Well, you know what? A lot of us do. And a lot of us have important things we're going to. And now you probably have a job interview, but this person's got a wedding to go to. So having that mindset that you're just one of many, like you mentioned earlier, you're a citizen of the world. Everybody here on that plane or that train or that car is important. Everybody has somewhere to go. Everybody has somewhere they want to be. Yours is not the most important. Things do go wrong. You have to, so in order, we have to understand all that and be willing to then when things do happen to not let it frustrate you. If your flight is delayed, 
to not sit there and be grumpy in, in the airport? What are you going to do? There's only one plane. You don't have another option. So novice travelers allow external things to frustrate them and to then make their trip worse. And I think that's probably the single most thing uh, that novice travel, the single most number one problem that you do. And then just along with that, just not having a backup plan. Smart and Solo is marvelously written. There are so many lessons to be learned, especially for that novice traveler. I'm curious, uh, in having read the book, whether you could verbally share with the audience as to how you handle that moment when you're on a street corner in, let us say, Ho Chi Minh City, and you're completely lost, and it's one in the morning. How does one counsel their fears? Yeah, I've, and, I, and I've had these occurrences, and, and thank you for the compliment on, on the writing. And how does one counsel the fears? Well, for me... The first time I had those fears, I didn't I didn't handle it well, and I was extremely frustrated. And I to the point where I I write about it in the book to the point where I yelled at one point. I was in Venice, Italy, and I was extremely lost. And I said, "I need help," and I screamed it. And nobody turned, nobody came towards me. This was at nighttime, and nobody came out to say, "Oh, we heard that you needed help." So you realize you have to grow up real quick. And you, while you're out there on your own, it's, a, it's part of the reason I love travel is because when you're out there by yourself, you've got to fix things. If you're in another country, you can't all of a sudden call mom, call dad, call whoever and say, I need help, help me out. You've got to fix it on your own. And there might be that minute-long panic attack or whatever it may be that we have when something goes wrong, but then you have to look yourself in the, in the mirror and say, i got to fix it. i got to figure this out. And it's, it's powerful. It's extremely powerful, and it helps you know that you can do anything. And so initially, there's going to be that, 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 that scare, that fear, that maybe that feeling of helplessness, like, what am I going to do? But then you just take note and say, okay, this is what I got to do. And I, I would say that anyone who ever is going to find, ever, anyone in that, in that situation, I would say, this is going to be a great learning experience for you and to just figure it out. And figure it out, just, it's kind of you know, maybe crass to say that, just that that's the only solution. But when you, it's sink or swim. And when you're thrown in a situation like that, you will figure it out. You will make it happen. And then when you are back at home and you wake up the next day when you're back at home in your own bed and you're going to look back on that and you're going to say, wow, I was able to get through another country on my own where I was frustrated and it's empowering. And it's going to make you proud to be in those situations. And because of that, for me, I look forward to when things like that occur. I'm not saying I, I like and I welcome bad things to happen. I'm not saying that, but I, I am saying that I look forward for opportunities and challenges to show that I'm much more than, I'm, than I thought I was ever capable of. And when you can navigate a different country and, and get somewhere else after something like that happens, you're capable of much more than, than you ever thought you could. And it's empowering and it makes you proud. And it makes any random day that you have back in your normal life a breeze because you've handled far worse. Have you always been aware as to the point when daring became dangerous? Yeah, it's a, it's a thin line. And for, for whatever reason, I, I, I like to visit locations that tend to be somewhat dangerous uh, or daring. I like visiting locations that people say, wow, why'd you go there? Uh, for some reason, it just whatever part of me I, I, that excites me and I think might be the challenge. But luckily, in the planning stages, when I'm running it through to my mom, you realize you might want to dial that back a little bit. You know, it's okay to be, it's okay to be somewhat daring, but it, it's, it's definitely, you don't want to tempt fate 
too often. So I, I think it is helpful when I am making my plans to when I hear from like a family member say, you know, you'll dial that back a little bit. But I, I am, you know, fortune favors the bold. But you also need to just make sure you have a little little safety in mind as well, because that is, that is a major concern. And if, if you're if you're if you're ever in danger, then that means no more travels in the future. So you really have to at times make sure that you're conservative. You've used that phrase, overeducated yet underexposed. Do you feel you've reached a point in your life, Randall, where you are that man of the road who knows a little bit about everything he's seen and simply applies it to a new circumstance? The fact that you are no longer underexposed, would you consider yourself such? Well, it's it's interesting because it's it's a lot like the path to... You know the path to enlightenment. If you if you say that you're enlightened, then you're really back at square one. So I I understand that. Yes, I'm 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 more exposed than I was five ten years ago, and that I I've definitely made strides in my character and, and my own interest and just my my views on life. I I I do know that I'm I'm better than I was, and I'm, I'm stronger in those areas. But I also know that I've got a long way to go, and that I never will get there. I'll never really will reach the, the true, most enlightened traveler that I'd like to be. And I think that's another great thing about travel is it's, it's an endless goal to, to, to follow, knowing that you really never will achieve it. But it's, just, it's, a, it's more about the process than the ending. It's, it's, really, it's, you know, it's the journey, not the, the, the end point. So, so to answer your question, no, I, I don't feel that uh, I am, I'm, I'm there yet. I, and I want to be, and it's that desire, that continuing desire that, that does make me travel. It's a desire that, you know, even if you've been to 100 countries, there's 100 more to go. And think about that when you, when you realize the sheer number of it. Even someone who's if they've been that many countries, there's still 200 countries. There's, there's new countries formed there, over the last decade. There have been 40 different occurrences where a city capital has changed in a country, where a border has changed, or where the, the name of the country has changed with the most recent country being North Macedonia. And so it, it really never ends. You're never going to, even once you visit visited all of, if, if in your life you visit all the countries that exist, and that's a whole another gray area is what makes a country, there's still going to be more during your time. And it's, it's never anything. And that's part of the, part of the, my desire and my appreciation for travel is that it, it is never ending. And you won't be able to see it all, but you can sure as heck try. That's a marvelous dream. We're within a, a minute and a half again for our second station break, I'd like to leave you the question, if I may, Randall. You mentioned something that is close to my own personal image of what life should be, and that's the use of meditation. At the end of this month, I'll be interviewing two Tibetan expatriates from northern India who uh, have developed a documentary film festival. Do you feel there is a documentary in your story? Not simply a book, but a visualization of that book. And again, we have the minute 10, so I might have to lead into the break. Is yeah, I, well, I, I, would, I would hope so, and I think so. The, the, the spinoff book that is working on, one of the chapters in the book is called The Emerald Rule, which is just, as a traveler, finding ways to improve the world around you, whether it be just through volunteerism or, uh, or leaving the, the, you know, fighting pollution, wherever it may be, just leaving every location better than you found it. One of, and one of the things I do is every place I visit... I donate a, a pair of socks to someone in need. So I'll go to a train station or a place where there's a lot of uh, people who are in between homes, and I'll donate socks. And 
it's great because I'm, I'm allowed, I, I'm, I've met people from around the world as I'm giving them something that makes their life better. And so I think if the next book is going to be called Emerald, it's going to highlight Emerald heroes around the world, not just myself, but other people around the world who are making an impact. And I think that is something that could have a visual side to it as well. Please hold that thought. We'll be back in a few seconds. This is Seldom Said. My name is Robert. This is Seldom Said with Robert Amato. Welcome back. My name is Robert. The program is Seldom Said. We are interviewing author Randall Carlton Green, the author of Smart and Solo, The Blueprint for Efficient and Enjoyable Solo Travel. This has gone by incredibly quickly. I wonder if we could return to that question posited before the break as to how one pursues to a finite end, to a finish, a trip, or is the trip always underdeveloped and unfinished? Well, I think it's always under, I think it's, I think it's, there's not a finish on it. I, and I think that's why the journey is the most important part about it. And I also have a strong desire to continue to follow knowing that there is no end point. It gives you the utmost motivation to continue because every day you know there's more, you know there's more out there. And no matter how much you think you've done, there's still one more, there's still more. And to me, that's just an amazing, it's, it's like the perfect motivation is just knowing that you can do more, you can you can see more, you can, you can read more, you can think more, just all of the above. And again, it, travel is it's why I love it so much. Is because of its, its endless aspects of it. And every time you visit someplace, you know there's just something else to do. And, and that for me, I, I, I very I'll write all these goals down, places I want to visit, etc. But I also know that once I reach that all, one of my goals is to never ever fully have my goal list finished because I'm always adding to it. And it's that just knowing in the back of my mind, it, it kind of gives me a reason to wake up every day. It's like, well, you, you know, you've done this, but guess what? There's still 10 more things you can do in that, in that area. So I, I think definitely that it's not finite and it's, it's, it's always moving forward. And it's knowing that uh, you can continue to just can improve. And, and knowing that you can, there's no end point in your, in your progression. Is, to me, it's wonderful. It could frustrate me. It probably frustrated me at first when I was younger, but as, as I'm older and I appreciate just the different steps, it's, it's made me more more proud and given me something to really aim for. Do you feel that every living human being has a book in them? I do. I do. And a lot like, I'm, like I mentioned when you travel, how everybody's got a different story, everybody's got a different reason for travel. Uh, just think about that. If you interviewed on a 200-person flight, you're going to have 200 different stories. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have success. You're going to have failure. You're going to have all these different gamut of emotions of a human. And because everybody is an expert in something and that I can learn from someone, I think everyone's got a great story in them. Some are going to be more compelling than others, of course. But yes, every single person has a story. And every single person's story is made up of the plot and then the location that they're from and just the, the things that they've all gone through. And what's beautiful about it is that despite all those 200 differences on a plane of the different people you meet, there is going to be that underlying theme of what it is to be human and just the, the, the fact that we are similar. There are 200 differences, but we also have those fundamental aspects, the fact that we all dream, we all have goals, we all have family members and all that. And we all have this, a basic version of what we want in our lives. And there's just 200 different versions of that. Your book has page after page of advisory notations. One that strikes the mind that goes contra to the way Americans often travel. 
you are opposed to using credit cards. Can you explain to the listening audience why? Well, uh, it, it can get tricky. Um, I, I don't use a credit card. Uh, first of all, just in, in preparation of a trip, I, uh, I realized that if I was to put every trip on a credit card, that 20 years from now I'd be... I'd be paying for a trip to Brazil, and it would never end. And that's as we talk about not having a finite end. There be there wouldn't be a finite end of that as well. Uh, but when when traveling, for me, a lot of places only take cash. It's, it, it can be real peculiar. And in some situations, even in, in a country, I was in Poland, and you have they have they take the euro, but they didn't want the euro. They wanted us to spend zlotys, and you're going to have to have a certain amount of cash on you. Having, I, I use a debit card as kind of a safety net in situations, and even then you have to be careful because when you do use your card at all times, you don't know exactly how much is, is being spent because some situations will have it where you're paying and then they will give you different uh, currencies to pay for. So it can get tricky when you're using a credit card if you don't select the right currency and, and they'll add on a different fee to it as well. So I use a debit card as, as a safety net, but I'll also use cash locally. And it's also fun to, to see the different types of cash around and, and everything. But I think when someone traveling for the first time, uh, it'd be beneficial to have to have a debit card as, as your backup. And even in, the, in an extreme situation, a credit card as like the ultimate worst case scenario backup. But in, in, in your regular in your regular just purchases and everything, I, I would definitely advise against that. In our last program on this station, I had interviewed a security expert out of Geneva. He was talking about how inane people are and how inexperienced they are in using computers, how they're vulnerable. You mentioned using websites, computer contacts, and vacation planning. What advice and what instruction would you give them as to how to approach that? Well, it starts by, it, it, it can be very tricky. And I, I like to think about if I was if I was explaining the, the internet users to, like my mom, who, who's not proficient on computers and and. It can, it, there's an endless source of, of resources, so how do, you, how do you know what to trust and how do you know where to begin? And it can be very difficult, and if you meet 10 different travelers, you're going to hear nine different websites that they recommend. So for me, I would tell, start with just daydreaming. Look at pictures. Find out what you like. Just at the very vanilla part of, of, your, of your research, just find out what makes you tick, what stirs something inside you, because something will. And then from there, you can maybe ask your friends to find out what they use as well, because a lot of those websites... They, they can be tricky. A lot of them uh, are not updated, or a lot of them, if they're in a different country, or if they're representing, they might not have the hours. And it, it's also hard to, to, to contact some, some, some websites if they're in a different language. And when I've scheduled tours or trips on, on some of those websites, there's always, in the back of my mind, there's always a little bit of worry and concern whether it's going to go through, because when you're in a small town in the middle of nowhere, you're like, are you sure this works? So uh, I, would, I would say just have more than one resource resource. And also find one that you like. You're going to hear all these recommendations from other people. Find out what you like and what's consistent with you. And then, but also keep that circle small and kind of just rely on one or two. And don't try to don't try to look at too many different sources or sites because it can be overwhelming. Find out what you like. Find out what you're interested in, and then stick with that and kind of make that make your thing. I have, I have a couple different websites that I that I use exclusively, and uh, I stick to them because I think too much information can be a burden at times. You're the kind of person who seems to set foot inside an area that is novel and new and finds a place for themselves within it. As that stranger in the strange land, 
How important is language facility, and if so, how valuable are these Berlitz classes being taught left, right, up, and down? Yeah, I would tell any any traveler that there needs to be a basic understanding of the language. Uh, for me, I have I use a couple different language apps that I practice every day. Je pratique le français tous les jours, so I'm practicing my French every day. And you, in some places, yes, they're going to speak English, but in many of the signs, they're going to have different. Um, they're going to have both English and the local the local uh, language. But understanding the language also takes you so much farther into the culture because it helps you just understand kind of the, the area that you're at. And when you're, when you're learning a different language, part of that responsibility is also learning about the, about the culture. So with that, I would tell anyone, learn the basics. Learn how to say thank you. Learn, learn what it is to train. Learn, learn how, what the, you know, the word for airport, learn what train is. Yes, thank you. All the, the, customary, the customary greetings. But with that, also knowing the customs and a little bit about the culture. What's, uh, what side of the road do they drive on? Because if you're going to be driving, if you're, or if you're going to be walking across the street, you're going to make sure you look the right way. And I know that sounds kind of simple, but these are, when you're in a dropped off in a different location, how are you to know? Uh, find out a little bit about the history as well. What's the, has there been any wars or conflict? Uh, my most recent country that I was in was, was Turkey, and one of the persons I was talking to had told me that he was Kurdish and he was and he admired Americans and this was prior to the, the current situation there and you could just see how that changed if I would have came a week later his opinion of me might have been different and I would tell him travel so part of that language understanding is also just learning about the different cultures that are around and finding the history of it and, and finding is there any cur- current political turmoil that you might want to stay away from if you're talking to someone or you might want to just understand because that could also impact you because if a certain country is having political issues uh, there might not be the, the resources just to, to have basic functionality. Uh, when, when Egypt was first having a lot of its things about 10 years ago, you couldn't withdraw money from the ATMs, and the trash was left up on the curves and everything. They just didn't have the, the setup for it because there was too many other things going on. And those are important things to know with your travel. So language is part of it, but it's, it's one part of the, of the culture. Is the, how is the infrastructure? And those are things that you need to do. It's, it's fun and exciting, but those are things that I would tell any traveler to do is have a basic understanding because you don't want to put yourself in the wrong situation because it can be impactful. You can, if you're going through customs, if there's a turmoil, if there's conflict, and you're not aware of it, you, know, you could be stuck or stranded or not even let into the country as well. You've used the phrase in your book, virtue trips. Can you come up with a top three? That's perhaps an inane question, but out of curiosity, can you come up with a top three of these virtue trips that will stay with you forever and a day? The first, I can take the first two that come to the top of my head. The first one was, I wanted to make it a point to just uh, be calm and to be patient. Uh, at that point in my life, I think I was kind of antsy, someone who that when I was driving in traffic would be you know, just too too high strong on the cars around me and everything, or this car's going too slow, this car's going too fast, or whatever it may be. So I wanted to, I wanted to teach myself patience, which I was, I'm ashamed to admit that it take, you know, take me to an adult to finally work on my patience. But, uh, and, and on that trip, I had many situations where I missed a flight, I was in the wrong terminal, another situation I missed a train. And my goal then was to just take the time to, to meditate, accept what happened, and then to just stay calm with it and then smile. So my goal was, in the entire trip was to just take any situation where there was a line and we were waiting on people or, or any, any situation where I was waiting and to, to meditate and to 
inhale, love to my heart, inhale, peace to my mind. And I would say those over, I'd say that mantra over and over again during any time where I was waiting. And luckily, or unfortunately, on that trip, I had many situations. Like I said, I missed the, missed the flight, was in the wrong terminal. So I was able to actually work on those times. And, and I, was, I was proud, and I will forever be proud, and I will forever remember this trip and the fact that it, it, was, a, it was a big moment in my life of realizing that I could handle something severe like that and not let it affect my demeanor, not let it affect my, my personality or how I talked to everybody. So in that trip, not only was I meditating, but I was making a point to just smile and laugh and kind of joke about the situation. And something that has carried through all my virtue trips, and when I just to define a virtue trip is just set a goal, something I want to work on during that trip. The reason I have these all set up is that way when I return home, I'm better in that situation. And I, I like to think that since then, I've been a very patient person. The other uh, uh, virtual trip that comes to mind, the second one, would just be a trip where I said, uh, at times in my life, as I've gotten older, and I, I mean, my, my favorite friend is a book, so my time, is, I've become slightly introverted as years go by. And so I wanted to make it a point to just say hi and, and talk to as many people as I could and to then ask them about their interests. It's one thing to start conversations and to tell everybody, say, yep, I'm here traveling, I'm going to this destination, I'm going to the Netherlands. That's fine. That's great. But my goal was to take it one step further, one step higher, and to ask people about their interests. Because we all can talk about ourselves. That's easy. But it's the, the genuine connections are when you listen and talk to others. So my second virtual trip was just talking, but also asking people about their interests and in tune listening and just listening. And and, and again, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I have to say that some, a goal I wanted to work on. But I feel that's something that maybe up to the point in my life, I was always worried about myself talking about my stories because I had done X, Y, and Z, but I wanted to hear about other people's stories. So that goal, I was on, I was in the Netherlands, and my goal was to just talk to other people and, and, and hear about their lives and hear about their stories and hear about their advice and to make, make it a point to ask as many questions as, as possible. So I, uh, patience and then asking questions, those are my, my, my two most memorable virtue trips. Taking that perhaps a step further, it would seem, judging from what you've said, Randall, that the correlate of all of that taken together is a kind of porridge is simple acceptance. Acceptance of what is new, what is different, what is diverse, what might be initially frightening. Do you feel that you can literally look out the window of a tram and be open to accepting virtually everything you see? Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that acceptance is also accepting who you are who I am and knowing, like I said, on those virtue trips of knowing that I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit that this is something I need to work on is knowing who you are. Introspection probably is one of my favorite things in this world is being able to just know who we are and accept who we are and accept how life is and to know this might be something I need. This is my flaw. This is my strength. And to understand that that's kind of who I am and I can work on that. I can fix that or, or, or not. And to understand, yeah, it's it, looking out of a tram and seeing the world and seeing just these endless the, the rolling hills I saw in, in France on the, on the, in the farms and the fields there and, and to accept just kind of who I am and the piece of it and that the, it's a bigger picture, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, yeah, it's, it's a spiritual aspect of looking out and accepting. And acceptance is, is, is essential. And it goes in with the meditation and everything, just accepting the situation. It could be if, if a negative situation happens, you just accept it and handle it. And, again, it's, if you're lost and then that happens, you accept the situation. But then when you get back home... It, Everything's a breeze, and you don't have those those frustrated times. And I, I like to think that I'm the, the happiest I've ever been, and probably a lot of it because of the acceptance and you know the exploration that comes with it. But just understanding 
my strengths, my weaknesses, and the, and the strengths and weaknesses of the, the, the world around me. If you as an author presently were to look back at that young man from a small town in Arizona, what would be the most imperative bit of advice you would give him? Well, the first thing easily will come to mind would just be to start sooner. But I know that that you know, when I look back at that man, he didn't have any, or that young man, he didn't he didn't know he didn't he didn't know what he didn't know, and that's a, that's a big thing about so much of it. That's why we talked earlier about the horizon being such a thing. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know growing up, and I didn't know you know when you had to, when I had to drive an hour, two hour round trip to go watch a movie. I thought that was just what I thought that was life. <laughs> I didn't know that there was that you could walk to a movie. I didn't know you could walk to a grocery store. I didn't know those things happened. And so I would, and I would encourage myself back then to maybe just to start exploring sooner and to know that, uh, you aren't, that would have been the, I guess that we talk about on like your last question was accepting the world. Probably then as a, as a young person, I accepted that that's just how life was. So maybe I would actually give myself the opposite advice and be like, don't accept and go, go find out what else is out there. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was, it, it probably was one of the main reasons why I am so much in love with travel now. I feel like I'm, I'm making up for lost time for things I just didn't know, and I, and I guess my curiosity was was kind of formed. Uh, just one with it's kind of once you feed me a little bit of something, it was just I I need, I need more. I want more. I want to see more places. I want to learn more. I want to see different countries. I want, so it was. I I I I mean the only thing I you know I wish I had his youth. I wish I had the young person I could say I'll trade you the youth for my knowledge, and we'll see how that worked out. <laughs> I think we can all agree to that. We're going to have to draw this to a close, at least hopefully for a first installment. It sounds as if there are a myriad of conversations that we could possibly have, and we'd love to do it again if you'd care to. I, I want to just want to thank you for just the, the conversation in general, because so many of my questions I get are, are, are usually, what's your favorite country? And those are, those are fine. Those are great. But I, I felt today was very inspiring. It was, very, it was, it was awesome to just to think and, and have thought-provoking intellectual conversations. This, this is what I adore more than anything. I love being able to just talk and, and think talking. So I just want to thank you for just our, our conversation. It's been wonderful. It's our pleasure. Our guest has been Randall Carlton Green, and this is Seldom Said. Be with us again next time. 